We bring you what's happening in the world right now up next on NTD News. First, our top stories. Special Counsel John Durham testifying before Congress this morning. We bring you what he said about the Justice Department allegedly targeting former President Trump. A California teenager was just 13 years old when a transgender clinic removed her breasts. She's now fighting back with a lawsuit. The search continues for the missing submarine near the Titanic wreck. The five people aboard have only around one day of air left if they are underwater. And Elon Musk says Tesla is looking to invest in India as soon as humanly possible after meeting Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. We have the details. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Our top news is that Special Counsel John Durham is testifying before Congress this morning. Durham recently released a report about the Justice Department allegedly targeting former President Trump. Here's what he had to say today. The findings set forth in this report are serious and deserve attention from the American public and its representatives. Let me just briefly highlight a few of those. For one, we found troubling violations of law and policy in the conduct of highly consequential investigations. Durham testified that such policy violations included an alleged difference in the FBI's treatment between Trump and former Senator Hillary Clinton and the use of political opposition research in its investigation into Trump. Trump and many others say the FBI unfairly targeted him when it investigated alleged collusion between Trump and Russia. On May 15th, Durham released his report on the FBI's investigation. Republicans applauded the report, saying it proves Trump was right. Meanwhile, Democrats say the report shows the opposite, that the FBI didn't unfairly target Trump. Among those is Congressman Jerry Nadler, ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. Mr. Durham never found what he was looking for. He cannot dispute a single conclusion in the Mueller report. He cannot prove a magnificent deep state conspiracy. And he cannot say that the FBI investigation into the Trump campaign's Many ties to Russia never should have happened. Meanwhile, the committee's chairman, Republican Jim Jordan, says Trump was targeted and that it could happen to many others as well. Any one of us could be next. In fact, it's already started. Parents at school board meetings are terrorists. Pro-life Catholics are extremists. Even journalists aren't safe. Jordan says Republicans will stop alleged weaponization by making changes to the FISA Act. The act allows for intelligence gathering of foreign agents operating outside the U.S. However, it is often used on Americans in the U.S. We'll bring you a more detailed report on this morning's hearing in our evening news at 6 p.m., where you'll hear more testimony from John Durham. President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, has agreed to plead guilty to federal tax crimes, according to prosecutors. He also agreed to a special deal to dismiss a charge of owning a gun while using illegal drugs. We bring in a former prosecutor to break down the implications of this. Joining me now is Mark Ruskin, retired FBI special agent and former assistant district attorney in Brooklyn. Mark, it's so great to speak with you. Kevin, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. What do you make of the timing of the agreement between Hunter Biden and the Justice Department? Well, clearly the timing is set in order to benefit the Biden re-election campaign. Uh, they're doing it now in order to be able to sweep it under the rug. You know, as soon as this is over, this uh, very suspect uh, plea agreement, the mainstream uh, media is going to be saying, uh, well, this is over, it's a done deal now, let's forget about it. Well in time for the campaign to get going. 
Meanwhile, with the Trump uh, prosecution that's going on, they've, they've got it scheduled so it'll hit right in the middle of the campaign. So it, it seems like a somewhat dubious timing for a justice, impartial justice system to be utilizing. News cycles and public optics do play a big role in mirroring some of those concerns as GOP presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, who called the timing a joke and farcical. He says it's not an accident that it comes right after the Trump indictment and that it's the perfect fig leaf to pretend that no one is above the law while absolutely putting certain people above the law. Former ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley said the DOJ's plea deal with Hunter Biden raises further questions about a double standard of justice. Do you agree with this statement? Well, I would say it's even more than double. It's like multi-tiered, uh, depending on on who you are and and what and what you're you're being prosecuted for. In in this case, in, in particular, the uh, you know one wonders you know typically you know and I was a uh, prosecutor as well as an FBI agent, and I've been involved with a lot of federal prosecutors as well. Typically, federal prosecutors will overcharge. They'll charge many more uh, charges than are warranted in order to have some negotiating room, which is not really appropriate, I would suggest. You know, in, in this case, the uh, making of a plea agreement, typically a plea agreement is an exchange for something. There, there's no plea agreement. I've never seen plea agreements unless there's an uh, offer to, comp to, to assist in a, an investigation in order to, to uh, further the investigation against other subjects. So to have a sweet deal like this where you plead to misdemeanor charges is not uh, typical at all and suggests, as you're saying, that there's a special standard of justice in certain situations. Mark, I want to look at this from the other side now. Some news pundits are saying that since the DOJ did investigate Hunter and reach a plea deal with him, that shows that they're being aggressive on their part. Furthermore, legal experts are saying that people usually just have to pay a fine after paying their back taxes and first-time offenders for these types of gun charges usually don't get jail time anyway. What's your reaction to this? Well, first of all, they don't get offered a deal like this when there's many, many other uh, uh, allegations to be investigated. You know, we have the paintings, for example, that were sold, you know, for huge amounts of money. You know, who sells paintings like that when they don't know how to paint and gets that kind of money? What's it really for? What are the other allegations that need to be investigated? So uh, to suggest that, you know, that this was a, a fair deal in terms of because uh, and that normally there wouldn't be prison time is really a specious argument, I would suggest. Mark, really quick before we go here, some news analysts are saying that Hunter was simply let off and that anyone else would have been used as leverage to get the facts about the family is what some call suspicious activities. And of course, that ties in with allegations that Hunter was peddling influence through his work at Burisma and doing deals with companies connected with the CCP. So what do you make of this here? Well, I, I think that's exactly correct. I, know, I don't think this is over. You know, this is an attempt to cl put closure on something which I don't think is going to close. You know, this Justice Department has agreed to these minimal charges when there's a, a, apparently a great deal of uh, deep water here, uh, deep currents of other activity. So I would suggest that this is far from over and that there is going to be, you know, this, there's no such thing as a free pass. You know, the, DA, the federal prosecutors cannot agree to say, well, you know, this deal covers every crime you, you may have ever committed in your life and are committing perhaps now that we don't know about. So 
uh, I think this is going to go further. There's going to be more investigation, ultimately, perhaps under a different administration, and it's going to it's going to keep it's going to keep percolating. And this, of course, is a localized agreement. Mark Ruskin, retired FBI special agent. It is always great hearing your analysis. It's always great being here, Kevin. Returning now to a desperate situation that has caught attention worldwide. The missing submarine in the Atlantic Ocean only has about 24 hours of air left. Crews are racing against the clock to rescue the five people on board. And today's Andrew Thomas has the latest on their efforts. The U.S. Coast Guard is leading the massive search to rescue five people missing since Sunday. Their small submersible vessel named Titan was on a mission to reach the wreckage of the Titanic, but lost contact with its support ship in the North Atlantic Ocean. But then, obviously, with that water column being so thick, water isn't like a big bowl of water. It will be stratified, have different layers of salinities and temperatures. Um, so if, if the sub's in somewhere in that water column, it could be drifting around in a non-sort of uh, predictable way. The crew includes a pilot, a renowned British adventurer, two members of a prominent Pakistani family, and a Titanic expert. The Titanic is about 2.4 miles below the surface. As you probably know, most of the ocean floor hasn't been mapped, <laughs> so, so we're not sure what's on the bottom. Um, best scenario, it's nice and flat. Uh, and calm, like you see in the Titanic photos. You might have seen that recent photo mosaic. I think they've surveyed they did of the did of the vessel, but it, it could be quite rugged. If the vessel is on the ocean floor, a rescue will be challenging. Super small, isn't it? Super thick, uh, obviously, hull to try and for those for those uh, water pressures, which are massive. I mean, a lot of submarines can't get that deep, so there's obviously been a super bespoke one. I think they've been bolted in, haven't they, as well? So. Mike Reese was a passenger on board the Titan on a previous OceanGate mission. He's not confident about finding the crew alive. It's possible they're just out of range, that they came back to the surface and they're just out of radio contact with someone. I find that very unlikely, and I think, I think uh, they may be stuck at the bottom of the ocean. The missing crew only has approximately 24 hours of air left as of midday Wednesday. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Layla Jane was just 13 years old when her breasts were removed in California in a cross-sex procedure. Now she's suing the doctors who permanently disfigured her. NTD's Daniel Monahan spoke with attorney Mark Trammell on the lawsuit against Permanente Medical Group and Kaiser Foundation Hospitals. The plaintiff in the lawsuit is Layla Jane. Layla is a young woman who had a lot of mental health issues as a child and adolescent. I experienced suicidal ideation from a really young age, like first grade, ever since I understood the concept of death. Having seen stories of famous transgender people like Caitlyn Jenner online, Layla decided to visit a therapist at a transgender clinic. It wasn't long before she ended up under the so-called care of Dr. Watson, Dr. Taylor, and Dr. Tong between the ages of 12 and 13. One of the doctors, one of the defendants in this, in this lawsuit, conducted a 75-minute psychiatric evaluation on Layla before determining that, yes, she's transgender and should receive this course of treatment. Trammell says it took just six months from Layla's first appointment to putting her under the scalpel. So they told her parents, you have a choice. You can have a dead daughter or a live son. And it is a false dilemma. It, it presents this idea that your child will commit suicide. It is a foregone conclusion if you do not put them on cross-sex hormones, if you do not operate. Um, when we see the science is actually 
uh, it tells the opposite story. So we, we know that 80 to 90% of these kids are going to age out of, of gender dysphoria and uh, that suicide is not going to be resolved by surgery. Um, this, this surgery is, is certainly no salvation for these kids. Layla says little attention was paid to her mental health. I had nobody else looking at the mental side of things. Um, I didn't have consistent therapy with um, the local therapist. That wasn't required, so I just didn't do it. The lawsuit says Layla was the child victim of ideological and profit-driven medical abuse. If the pharmaceutical companies are able to uh, have a child on testosterone or puberty blockers at the age of 13, they're going to be on those drugs for the rest of their lives. Um, so there's a lot of financial incentive for this stuff to happen. It further states that Layla was put on drugs like Lupron that are not FDA approved as a hormone treatment for kids with alleged gender dysphoria. We don't allow a 12-year-old to buy a cigarette or uh, to even enter an R-rated movie, but we have doctors at Kaiser who are handing them their prescription pads and, and letting them uh, you know, have double mastectomies and, and go, on, go on Lupron and, and testosterone. Apart from permanent disfigurement, Layla also has a deeper voice, excessive growth of body hair, as well as other side effects of the testosterone given to her at just 12 years old. Whether she'll ever be able to have kids is unknown. Layla and so many other kids who have been through a similar experience are really, I think, being treated like human guinea pigs. The Dillon Law Group and LaMandry and Jana LLP filed the lawsuit in conjunction with the Center for American Liberty. When Layla wins her lawsuit, and they're awarded damages, I think, I think hospitals are going to reconsider uh, this type of, I think, barbaric treatment that they're administering on children. NTD reached out to Permanente Medical Group and Kaiser Foundation Hospitals, but did not receive a response by broadcast time. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Coming up after the break, find out who the moderators will be for the first Republican presidential primary debate, which is scheduled for late August. A former CNN producer is sentenced to 19 years in prison for sexually abusing a minor. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. We're continuing with some business news. Welcome back to the show. Tesla CEO Elon Musk said the electric car maker will be in India as soon as humanly possible following talks yesterday with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi in New York. Well, I'm actually incredibly excited about the future of India. I think uh, India um, has more promise than any large country in the world. He really cares about India because he's, he's pushing us to make significant investments uh, in India, which uh, it is something that we, we intend to do. Musk told reporters that he had an excellent conversation with Modi, but did not provide further details. He said India has a strong potential for a sustainable energy future, including solar power, stationary battery packs, and electric vehicles. Last month, Musk said Tesla would probably pick a location in India for a factory by the end of this year. India is the world's third largest automobile market. The Tesla CEO said he hopes to bring SpaceX's Starlink satellite internet service to the country as well. Modi is on his first state visit to the United States. He is set to meet President Biden at the White House later today. The two nations seek to deepen relations amid China's growing influence in the Indo-Pacific. Are used car prices coming down? Is supply meeting demand? Is there still a chip shortage in the industry? NTD Business's Don Ma speaks to a car industry expert. 
And here to talk to me about the used car industry is Lauren Fix, automotive expert for Car Coach Reports. Now, there's reports that are saying car prices are going up, but on the other hand, there's also reports saying car prices, used car prices, that is, are going down. Now, what are you seeing? Are they going up or are they going down? Well, here's the reality of it. The wholesale prices, when the dealers buy amongst themselves, whether they go to auction or they use something like ACV auctions, that price has dipped a little bit. But the retail price has not altered. And in some cases, if it's a high-demand vehicle like a three-row SUV or a luxury SUV, those prices have actually gone up. So it depends what you're looking at. Pickup trucks, SUVs, they're very popular right now. If you're looking for a car, you might be able to find some deals. Again, a lot of it's timing, how long the vehicle's been sitting on the lot. But if you look at the actual numbers that are coming off the auction blocks, you're seeing that the prices have dipped a bit, which means the profit margin for each of the dealer groups, whether it be a dealer or a used car lot, has increased. This dip, is it significant because used car prices is part of the CPI, Consumer Price Index, uh, for inflation, right? Is it going to help bring down inflation? No, it's not at all. Actually, you may see the price dip just a teeny bit, but it's going to go back up because it has to do with supply and demand. When the demand is high, which it was, people were couldn't get new cars, so they switched to used cars. So hence, you saw the prices go through the roof and dealers were taking advantage of that. Manufacturers were taking advantage of that. Now we have a limited still supply of product coming in. Remember, a lot of these parts come out of China. Uh, you've got parts for catalytic converters that come out of Russia, wiring harnesses out of the Ukraine and other areas. We're still having no resolution. We still have a chip shortage, believe it or not, three years in. This should have been resolved. But the chip manufacturers are trying to build in the U.S., and it takes about five years from the time they decide to build a plant in the U.S. to the time they actually produce their first, what we call in our industry, a legacy chip. So when you're thinking about a chip, you might be thinking of something small like a SD card or of the chips that are in your phone. They're much larger when it comes to a car. They're an older design, and it's very difficult for a brand to just do a complete switch. So until we can catch up on the supply chain, everything from logos of names, like Ford couldn't get logos for the front of their trucks. They're not going to sell trucks without the Ford logo on it. So you're starting to see that kind of thing is still in play, which means limited supply. So they're building high luxury brand cars. So what does that mean for you as a consumer? If they're building more luxury, fully loaded cars, and you're looking to buy a car that doesn't have a lot of options, maybe a work truck or just for budget reasons, you're going to find that that's going to be difficult for you to find cars. So used cars have still hold their value, and the used car dealers are well aware of that, and you're still seeing lots filled with mostly used cars. Are car, used car prices ever going to go back to, to the prices that we're, we were used to before the rise? Well, that is a very good question because I think that's what people are waiting for. Um, I think until this recession, which we are in a recession, uh, I have an economics degree. I will tell you, 101, first day you learn what a recession is, and this is what we are in right now. And until that changes, I don't believe we're going to see softer prices for used cars. Uh, with more mandates coming from the federal government saying you have to buy an electric car or it's going to have more computer chips in it. People are very wary about this big data. So there, a lot of people are looking at used cars and that used car value is still going to be in play, I'm thinking, for at least another two to three years. All right, Lauren Fix, expert for Car Coach Reports. Pleasure speaking to you. Thank you. Taking you back to politics now from business, Fox News has announced the moderators for the first Republican presidential primary debate, which is scheduled for August 23rd. Fox News anchors Brett Bayer and Martha McCollum will be co-moderators. 
President of Fox News Jay Wallace said the two have played pivotal roles in the coverage of every major political event during their work at Fox. Bayer is Fox's principal political correspondent and executive editor of Special Report with Brett Bayer. It's cable news's highest rated newscast. McCollum anchors and is the executive editor of The Story with Martha McCollum. That's the highest rated news program in its time slot. The debate will be broadcast exclusively on Fox News Channel. The Supreme Court declined an appeal over the Biden administration's transgender housing policy. The appeal was filed by a Christian university. Missouri's College of the Ozarks said the policy clashed with the school's ability to house people based on their sex. Alliance Defending Freedom has been representing the college. The organization argued the policy might force women to share private spaces with men who identify as women or face a six-figure fine. Two lower courts found the school can't bring the case because the federal government never tried to enforce the mandate there. After the high court's dismissal, senior counsel Murray Blake spoke to the Washington Examiner. She said she hopes the Supreme Court will take up related cases to challenge what she calls the government's attempts to remove from law any real distinction between males and females. A former CNN producer was sentenced to 19 years in prison for luring a nine-year-old girl into illegal sexual acts. He pleaded not guilty in 2021, but changed his plea to guilty last December. John Griffin was a longtime producer for CNN's New Day. He was fired in December 2021 following the allegations. The indictment revealed that Griffin used messaging apps to communicate with people purporting to be parents of minor daughters. During that time, he convinced a woman to travel with her daughter from Nevada to Massachusetts, where he picked them up and took them to a ski house. It was there he engaged in sexual activities with both the woman and her nine-year-old daughter. The woman was identified as the girl's adopted mother. She was charged in 2020 with child abuse and other counts. In addition to the prison sentence, the judge imposed 15 years of supervised release for Griffin. A report shows a major increase in sexual abuse in public schools over the past decade. It blames the rise on officials not doing enough to hold perpetrators accountable. The report was issued by the Defense of Freedom Institute. It looked at federal data from 2015 to 2018 at over 97,000 schools across the U.S. Researchers found a 74% increase in rape or attempted rape at these schools. And from 2010 to 2019, complaints about sexual assault in K-12 schools more than tripled. The organization says in many cases, agreements between school districts and teachers unions promoted hiding records of misconduct and sexual assault. It adds that union leaders influence state lawmakers and lobby against measures that would hold perpetrators accountable. The report says schools are required by law to investigate sexual abuse, to notify parents, and to document the investigation. However, it says that very few follow through. An unusual civil rights case involves a state agency strapping a camera to a bear. Residents accuse the government of using the bear to spy on them. Legal experts say the case will test how far the government can go in conducting surveillance without a warrant. The couple allegedly targeted by the bear cam own land in Connecticut. Their lawsuit says the Connecticut Environmental Department caught a bear and put a camera on it. That was to catch the couple violating a town order to stop feeding the bears. 
The couple's lawyer said when you slap a camera on a bear with plans to use images captured by the bear, it's an agent of the government. The couple produced their own camera footage showing that the bear came with that the bear with the camera came within 200 yards of their property. The couple's lawyer says this indicates the government was spying and violating their rights. Just ahead, China hitting back at Washington after President Biden called Chinese leader Xi Jinping a dictator during a fundraiser. The German Chancellor welcomes the Chinese Premier in Berlin. They're both highlighting the importance of free trade, a move that has been criticized in Europe. We'll have the details for you soon when we return. Welcome back. President Biden called Chinese leader Xi Jinping a dictator yesterday while recalling the spy balloon incident. China said the comments are extremely absurd and irresponsible. Biden said that she was embarrassed over the recent tensions surrounding a suspected Chinese spy balloon that had been shot down by the Air Force over the East Coast. He told a fundraiser event in California that she got very upset as he didn't know the balloon was there. He said, that's a great embarrassment for dictators when they don't know what happened. His comments come just over a day after Secretary of State Antony Blinken concluded a visit to Beijing that sought to stabilize U.S.-China ties. China's foreign ministry said Biden's comments violated the country's political dignity and amounted to public political provocation. And now to Europe. The German chancellor yesterday welcomed the Chinese premier to Berlin. They both highlighted the benefits of free trade, but Germany's European allies are increasingly wary of Berlin's close economic ties to China. And today's France correspondent David Vives has more. One step closer to China, one step away from Europe. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and Chinese Premier Li Qiang on Tuesday agreed to support free trade after intergovernmental talks in Berlin. Scholz has come under fire for the talks which critics say are not appropriate anymore given growing geopolitical tensions between the West and China. A German intelligence agency published a warning in a report on Tuesday. The report says China is aiming to obtain German technology to bolster its military. It also highlights the risk of cyber-spying operations. Despite that, the German chancellor defended his position on the two countries' relationship. Author and historian Philippe Fabry says Germany's tough spot comes from the country's economic choices. A large part of China's industrialization has been achieved through the purchase of German machine tools, which is the biggest export sector for the German economy. So naturally, exporting those is vital for Germany. This conditions Germany's relationship with China and puts it at odds with the interests of many other Western countries, notably the United States. The German chancellor's position doesn't come as a surprise, though. When visiting China in November 2022, Scholz promoted partnership with the country. And in May, he confirmed a deal to allow a Chinese shipping company to take a minority stake in a container terminal at Hamburg port. Fabri says these moves from Germany make it more and more isolated from other EU countries. Since the start of the war in Ukraine, there has been a loss of German influence in Europe. That's because of a whole host of German strategies, and in particular, Germany's dependence on Russian gas, which has brought some form of discredit. Case in point, on the same day as Germany's announcement, the EU published an economic security plan. 
It seeks to convince the bloc's 27 states to agree stronger control on exports. It's particularly focused on technologies that could be put to military use by rivals like China. I think we're seeing a power struggle as the EU pledges to harden its relationship with China, which is also hoped for by the U.S. camp, who are determined to have the Europeans on their side in the strategic confrontation against China. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. More news involving China. A Taiwanese high school has installed an indoor airsoft shooting range for students to learn how to shoot as tensions rise across the Taiwan Strait. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest. Son Min Senior High School in Taiwan recently installed this airsoft gun shooting range. The facility helps students learn about all-out defense. The concept is designed to combine civilian and military resources to help the country prepare for conflict. Mia Yen is an 18-year-old student at San Min Senior High School. Before I learned about all-out defense, I thought that it's a soldier's duty to protect our lives and assets. But after I became aware of it, I realized that protecting ourselves is everyone's job, not just soldiers or firemen and policemen's jobs. We have to do it ourselves. Students also have access to a military aircraft flight simulator. 17-year-old Richie Fang learned a lot. Before I used the flight simulator, I had no idea what national defense is about. Now I'm aware that the Army, Navy and Air Force are equipped with flying facilities. I also learned what they routinely do. With all-out defense, we can all participate. The ongoing war in Ukraine has brought the threat of a Chinese invasion into focus. First of all, we want students to understand that national defense issues are everyone's job. You probably see on the news that there is a war in another country. But we must be aware of the potential danger. If such a situation happens in Taiwan, what are you going to do? But military analyst Jerry Song doubts the practical impact of the shooting range. This will only help them, students, have a concept of firearms. They will know what shooting is and the basics on how to shoot, but they will have to learn further about real shooting with real firearms. I think this is only a beginning. China claims Taiwan and much of the South China Sea as part of its territory. The Chinese Communist Party has threatened to take the island by force. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, France is declaring that Europe needs to have its own air defense and not rely on the U.S., but Germany disagrees. And over 40 women died in a prison riot in Honduras. We'll have the details shortly, right here on NTD News Today. Good to have you back with us. Ukraine is seeking just over $6 billion over the next 12 months to help recover from Russia's war. Ukraine's prime minister made the announcement today at the Ukraine Recovery Conference in London. And today's Andrew Thomas has more. Thank you. Ukrainian Prime Minister Denis Shmohal said the country has set an ambitious goal of securing pledges of $6 billion. Ukraine is seeking up to $40 billion to fund the first part of a Green Marshall Plan. The plan aims to rebuild its economy, including developing a coal-free steel industry. Our partners have already pledged $4.3 billion out of the total $14.1 billion needed for the rapid recovery for the next 12 months. But we still need another $6.55 billion. 
Ukraine, the World Bank, the European Commission, and the United Nations estimated in March that the cost was at $411 billion for the first year of the war. That figure could easily reach more than $1 trillion. One of the key questions we are constantly facing is who will pay the hundreds of billions for the recovery. First and foremost, Russia must pay for what it has destroyed. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said the United States will send another $1.3 billion in aid to Ukraine. He said the U.S. has already provided more than $20 billion in economic and development assistance. All of these reforms and recovery efforts depend on Ukraine having the capacity to deter and defend against future attacks by Russia. That's why even as we invest in Ukraine's immediate and long-term recovery, we also have to build a Ukrainian military. Blinken also warned Russia that eventually it will have to pay for Ukraine's reconstruction. Even as we come together here in London, committed to supporting Ukraine's buildup, Russia continues to try to burn it down. So, let's be clear. Russia is causing Ukraine's destruction, and Russia will eventually bear the cost. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. French President Emmanuel Macron is calling on European nations to seek more independence on airspace defense and advocates against relying too much on the U.S. Macron said on Monday he had made some progress in convincing some of France's European Union allies to look at a more homegrown defense strategy. Officials from Belgium, Cyprus, Hungary, Estonia and France signed a letter of intent for the joint purchase of the French Mistral air defense systems. Macron's move is in contrast to a German-led effort to jointly procure air defense systems from outside Europe. Germany's defense minister said his country is not convinced by the French initiative. The minister said Germany won't move away from a deal signed last year to purchase the Aero 3 missile defense system, which partly comes from the U.S. and Israel. Influencer Andrew Tate today appeared at a court in Romania after prosecutors charged him with rape, human trafficking, and forming an organized crime group to exploit women. Tate was indicted along with his brother Tristan and two Romanian female suspects. They're under house arrest pending an investigation into abuses against seven women. The suspects have denied the accusations. The Tate brothers, both former kickboxers, are the highest profile suspects facing trial for human trafficking in Romania. Tate is a successful social media figure with more than six million Twitter followers. He was previously banned from TikTok, YouTube and Facebook for hate speech. Tate has resided in Romania since 2017. He and his brother are dual British U.S. citizens. Honduran authorities said a riot at a women's prison yesterday has left at least 41 dead. They said it was a gang-led attack in retaliation to their efforts to crack down on corruption in penal facilities. The riot took place at a 900-person prison about 12 miles from the capital, Tegucigalpa. Officials said most of the victims were killed in a fire while others had been shot, stabbed, or beaten to death. The country's president said the riot had been planned by gang members 
with Guard's knowledge. Xiaomara Castro said she will take what she called drastic measures. Honduras has a history of deadly prison incidents. A prison gang fight in 2019 killed 18 inmates and over 350 died in a fire at a prison in 2012. Brazil has made a major bust, more than 30 tons of illegally obtained shark fins. Authorities said it was the world's largest confiscation of its kind. Some 10,000 shark were killed for that amount of fins. They were mainly of two species, the blue shark and the short fin mako shark. Both were added to Brazil's national list of endangered species last month. Officials said the fins were bound for export to Asia. Still to come, pigment making has been around for millennia and was recently classified in the UK as an endangered craft. We met with pigment maker to find out more. And in France's iconic Versailles Palace, the private rooms of Queen Marie Antoinette are reopening to visitors. So stay tuned for more on the royal curation when we return. Welcome back. From the paintings hidden under Renaissance masterpieces to the writings of many ancient documents, the colors behind these works have a surprising source. And today's Jane Worrell met with a pigment maker who's keeping the craft alive. This I found in a, in a Victorian dump. Uh, we'll create different um, kind of shades of blue because there are impurities in the metal. London-based pigment maker Lucy Mays creates pigments from often overlooked materials. It's so ubiquitous to find, you know, a broken brick or a piece of, you know, green or grey slate. You can crush and wash and grind and sieve um, the resulting particles to use as paint. And I think there's something quite um, sort of revolutionary about it and exciting about it that you could literally paint with a red brick. Pigment making has a rich history. These here are both burnt ochres, which relate very clearly to Renaissance underpaintings where they would have used burnt umber and burnt sienna to kind of render the composition before going in with um, other colours. Those early layers you call the ground layers. Um, so when you're painting the ground, <laughs> I mean, obviously it makes sense, um, which is ironically painted with the ground, which is an earth colour. <laughs> um, it's like the basis for the painting. In Britain, ink made from oak galls has been used since Roman times. Oak gall ink is when an oak gall wasp lays its egg in the bud of a growing um, acorn. And instead of an acorn growing, you get a gall. And these come in lots of different sizes and shapes depending on the species of wasp. Um, and these are very rich in tannins that you can create a brown ink or a very, very deep black ink from. Van Gogh, Rembrandt, Leonardo da Vinci will use this ink as well. Pigment making was recently classified as an endangered craft. Lucy is one of only about 10 professionals in the UK keeping it alive. She says it's brought about a greater appreciation of her surroundings. By making these pigments, um, I can personally reflect on my own relationship to my surroundings, be it within an urban setting or within a more natural setting. And by doing that, I, I think that I'm reconnecting with these raw materials from nature that um, are often perhaps overlooked. Jane Worrell, NTD News, London. Several thousand people celebrated the summer solstice at Britain's Stonehenge this morning. They watched the sun rise behind the ancient stone circle built thousands of years ago. 
The summer solstice marks the longest day of the year and the start of summer in the Northern Hemisphere. It has been celebrated for millennia at the World Heritage Site, 80 miles southwest of London. The private chambers of Queen Marie Antoinette are reopening in Versailles Palace. She was the country's last queen before the French Revolution. After five years of restoration, these rooms are now open for small groups of visitors to tour. Marie Antoinette settled in Versailles in 1770. She began renovating the chambers four years later. The space is split on two floors and includes a living room, a library, and a boudoir. Objects belonging to the Queen are also on display, featuring some of the best art and crafts of the time in France. All the traits of her personality come to the fore. Her incredible audacity, her impatience, her exacting standards. She only wanted the best. Her taste for always being up to date, a taste that can be very changeable. And then there is a way in which, year after year, she withdraws into this sort of inner labyrinth that is these spaces, which truly are a maze. The small hideaway became the queen's shelter from the fatigue of the king's court. Here, she hosted her children and a select circle of friends. The rooms also betray the personality of a young woman, vivacious and fond of independence. The private quarters will be open to the public beginning next Tuesday. Coming up from trains to boats, from ministers to police officers, people across India are exercising to celebrate International Yoga Day. Details to come on NTD News Today. Good to have you back. Today is International Yoga Day. In India, the birthplace of this practice, people gathered to exercise in huge numbers to promote well-being of both body and mind. On board India's first homegrown aircraft carrier, the country's defense minister performed yoga among a group of health enthusiasts. Meanwhile, in a western city, ladies were practicing different yoga poses in the water. Police officers joined the exercises from the India-Tibetan border along with police dogs. The same scene unfolded on trains in Mumbai as well as on some boats in local rivers. Elsewhere, people with disabilities were stretching their arms in wheelchairs. In 2014, the United Nations declared June 21st International Yoga Day. That was on the initiative of Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Now the date is marked by people all over the world. Women have unique heart health issues. However, the keys to a healthy heart are universal. Let's get some tips. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Men and women are different in many ways, and this applies to their hearts as well. For example, the female heart and some of its chambers are smaller by ratio than the male heart. Women's hearts pump faster than men's, but the male heart sends out more blood with each pump. Some of the chambers of the female heart are thinner, and the veins are narrower than those of males. When under stress, the female pulse rate rises and results in more blood being pumped. Among males, however, stress leads to constricted arteries and a rise in blood pressure. Women often feel acute pain in the back or upper abdomen, sweating, shortness of breath, and nausea. Sudden cardiac death is more common in men. Women are more likely to have heart palpitations. Heart attacks typically affect men at a younger age than women, and women usually take longer to recover from a heart attack than men. 
Diet and lifestyle changes are the first line of defense unless you are in an emergency situation. So here are seven tips for both men and women. Number one, cut the sugar. You might think that eating too much sugar is only associated with being overweight, but it can also cause heart disease. A 15 year study looked at added sugar and heart disease. It found that individuals who consumed 25% or more of their daily calories as sugar were twice as likely to die from heart disease. That was compared to the people who consumed less than 10% added sugar. Number two, adopt a healthy eating plan. According to both Forbes and US News and World Report, the top rated eating plans for heart health are the Mediterranean diet, Ornish diet that's plant-based and DASH. However, always do your own research. Number three, get sufficient sleep. Seven to nine hours of sleep every night is best for heart health and overall health as well. According to one review, insufficient sleep increases the risk of coronary artery disease and cardiovascular disease. Number four, consider supplements. One of the best supplements for supporting heart health is aged garlic extract. Other supplements to consider include magnesium, omega-3 fatty acids, fiber, and green tea. Number five, keep moving. Muscles need to be worked to stay strong and healthy, and the heart is no exception. Aerobic exercise at a moderate pace for 150 minutes a week is the standard. Several sessions of weight training per week are also suggested. Number six, eat in moderation. Overeating places a lot of stress on your heart as the digestive system steps up its activity. Eating too much can result in irregular, faster heart rhythms, which can result in a heart attack or heart failure. Number seven, manage stress daily. The American Heart Association warns that chronic stress can cause heart trouble. Stress can lead to high blood pressure and increases the occurrence of cardiovascular events. Practice enjoyable activities that reduce stress such as meditation, walking, prayer, visualization, dancing, falun gong, yoga, tai chi, deep breathing, and journaling. And finally, be sure to get your blood pressure, heart rate, cholesterol, and blood sugar levels checked at regular intervals. That's all for today's program. I'm Kevin Hogan.